Well, good morning, everybody. It's January 2nd, 2022. Hope everybody had a good and safe uh, New Year's. Um, this is Mind Chatter. This will be episode number 55. It's been a long time since I've been on here. I haven't done an episode in, uh, gosh, eight months now, I think. Had a lot of people who do follow me or asking me where my next episode is. So, well, here it is. A um, couple of things real quick before I get started. I, uh, I'm using a new microphone today, so it's a lot more sensitive than what I was using before. So if you pick up a lot of background background noises, I'm you know shuffling papers, that kind of thing. My dog wants them in my office right now, and things like that. <clears throat> uh, that's why, because my my new microphone is really sensitive. So I hope it goes well. This is the first time I'm using it. And so with that, we'll we'll get started here. Uh, I titled this podcast today, um, Agenda of Death. And, and what I'm questioning, I did a lot of research on the, the topic of uh, population control and eugenics in general, trying to find out if there's really a, an agenda to control the population of, of not only the United States, but, but uh, around the globe. Um, eugenics is, is uh, nothing new. I mean, I've been aware of it for quite a while. I'm not exactly a believer in it myself, um, but I did a lot of research and I just tried to figure out some of the history, some of the people that are involved, you know, uh, just there's so much information out there about eugenics. And then I'm going to go through a lot of different things and, you know, we for those of you who are not aware, I mean, eugenic, what is eugenics? It's, it's, uh, it comes from the Greek, uh, word eugenios. It means from, uh, from noble origins, from noble birth, that type of thing. And the, the kind of dictionary textbook definition of it is, um, the practice or advocacy of improving the human species by selectively mating people with specific, um, desirable traits. It, it, it aims to reduce human suffering supposedly, by, quote, breeding out um, disease, uh, disabilities, and so-called undesirable characteristics from the human population. So, like I said, what I'll be doing is I'll be examining several different items that I've, I've researched and, and come up with to see if there, there actually is this, this uh, you know, like global eugenics-driven depopulation plan or agenda um, going on. So what I've, what I've, being able to kind of kind of fetter out is there's two different schools of eugenic thought. Um, I'll call them like Malthusian eugenists and Nazi eugenists. You know, they both have ultimately the same goal, which is depopulation, um, but just different motivations and beliefs on how to achieve that. Now, the Malthusians, it, it comes from a... What, what's called the Malthusian theory, and I'll get into that here in just a minute, but um, they they favor more uh, what they call positive eugenic methods, while these so-called Nazi, <laughs> Nazi-ists, uh, you know, as the name would imply, they would champion more n negative methods. And so what what is positive and negative eugenics? I mean, the differences are like, positive eugenics, um, they would promote the ideas and policies, you know, uh, legal methods, that kind of thing, um, which would kind of enhance the gene pool by 
encouraging, you know, healthy, successful, high achieving, high standard people to have families and have children, you know, encouraging marriage between these guys, um, allowing, you know, only these kind of people to, you know, to reproduce or even to donate to a sperm bank or, you know, create, create laws or legislation that would encourage this kind of stuff. And why I call them Malthusians is because their motivation is simply based on the belief that too many people on planet Earth is unsustainable. The Earth just cannot sustain, I think their magic number is 10 or 11 billion people. And so what they want to do, the positive eugenicist, is to try to save the planet to create methods where the... Uh, the global population will start trending downward and declining rather than going up like it is now. So we're at like a little over 8 billion on the planet right now. And they want to try to arc that downwards. So it starts trending downwards. So the next couple, three generations, you know, we'll have a much more sustainable population. So that's, that's positive eugenics in a nutshell. Um, negative eugenics, like I said, it's, it's much darker, uh, the methods that they that they endorse are, is some of them are pretty bad. And it's based on something called uh, the degeneracy theory, which kind of postulates the idea that uh, quote unquote unfit people come from poor environments and damaged heredity. Uh, you know, examples of negative eugenics, I guess, would be things like uh, immigration laws, which would pro prohibit or forbid those who have what they would call eugenically undesirable traits, you know, such as race, uh, nationality, ethnicity, um, discouraging or outright prohibiting the marriage or family life for those with undesirable traits. I mean, on up to sec sexual segre segregation, um, forced sterilization methods even, and even on up to extermination, which some people do endorse. And again, I'll get into that. So, I mean, what do they consider a, um, an undesirable trait? I mean, unfortunately, it's kind of subjective. It depends on who gets to make the decision. I mean, historically, in the, uh, uh, the American uh, eugenics movement, um, they thought negative traits were things like uh, disease, um, disabilities, mental illness, criminal behavior, um, poverty. Um, the earliest supporters of eugenics believed that you know, these things were hereditary in nature and thus, you know, could be bred out of the population. I mean, those targeted were labeled uh, idiots, uh, imbeciles, which basically just meant illiterate or no education, feeble-minded, which again, low IQ or even those suffering from dementia, Alzheimer's, that type of thing. Um... And again, like obviously the the eugenists like like Hitler and the Nazi regime, you know, they used religion and race as their criteria for, you know, an, an undesirable trait. And, <laughs> well, we know what happened there. So I kind of got into like, like how far back does this go? I mean, I've I've been aware of it for a long time, but and, and I'm sure everybody is aware of the Nazi atrocities and the Holocaust. And that it was kind of based on um, the eugenics idea, right? I mean, Hitler trying to create his uh, Aryan race, you know, the blonde hair, blue-eyed white male with, you know, six feet tall and blah, blah, blah. 
but is that where eugenics started? Um, no. <laughs> so I went back and I just tried to find it. Like, where where does eugenics come from? Where does the idea that, I mean, this we have to uh, breed out the, you know, the undesirable traits in humanity to try to create a better race? Well, it goes back a long ways. One of the first in instances that I could find um, is from Plato, oddly enough. You know, the uh, philosopher. If I can find my notes on him, there he is. Okay, so he, uh, around 378 BC, uh, he wrote a, um, an epic called Republic. And that was about depicting a society which uh, uses, I guess what they call selective breeding, to Im improve the society. He tried to create a superior society by uh, the procreating of higher classes together while discouraging procreation of lower classes, right? I mean, he suggested a variety of rules to help um, create this, you know, quote-unquote optimal society. You know, for example, men should only engage in sexual relations with a woman when it is prearranged or pre-approved pre by a ruler. And, you know, there's some other oddball ones in there too. And uh, But it's all about maintaining positive bloodlines and, and uh, you know, not letting these undesirables uh, procreate. And so that was like the earliest I could find of any idea of, you know, the, the idea, the concept behind you know, building a better race or, or what have you. Um, then I come across um, an Italian philosopher, 1623, in a work that he, he titled uh, City of the Sun. This guy's name was Tommaso Campanella. And he describes in that City of the Sun works, he describes this utopian society where only the social elite um, are allowed to procreate. And essentially that's the, the positive eugenics side of things. Then we go to, uh, everybody knows uh, Charles Darwin, right? Origin of species, natural selection, evolution theory, and all that. Well, it was very popular around the time that it came out, but his cousin um, actually wrote some very, very influential um, papers in, excuse me, in 1883, he is actually, Francis Galton is his name, Charles Darwin's cousin. He's the one that actually coined the term eugenics in his book um, called Inquiries into Human um, Faculties and Its Development, and that's 1883. So the term eugenics as we know it, and we understand it today, that's where it came from. But the idea of, you know, creating a better race or what have you, has been around for a long time. So we got, I mean... Like I said, the, the uh, there's a eugenics movement in America that started, boy, right around the time that Francis Galton published his, his papers and his books, and people really liked the idea, especially here in America, it, um, the, the American eugenics movement um, started in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it was, it was very prolific, it was very popular um, in American culture and politics until... I'd say the late 40s, um, even a bit later, you know, and, and the their stated goal um, was to improve the genetic quality 
of, uh, you know, the human population in general and the American population in particular, and largely embraced negative eugenics as a method of removing or eliminating undesirable traits through, you know, the, the selective breeding. Now, it took a very big hit, the popularity of, of American eugenics. I mean, it took a very big hit um, after the atrocities of the Nazi regime, World War II era. But before that, it was very popular. And they tie in closely together. And it's saddening, but it's true. You do if you do the research, you'll see what I mean. Um, some of the some of the major players around this time, boy, you have uh, Teddy Roosevelt, our president, started all the national park systems. He was a eugenist. He believed in the population control and all that. Um, George Bernard Shaw was a famous uh, playwright and philosopher, kind of a guy from Ireland and England. Another very influential person around that era. I saw I saw a video of this guy, George Bernard Shaw, before he died, talking about <laughs> just wiping people out. He's crazy. I mean, it's one thing to understand that people hold this belief, but <laughs> to hear him actually just say it out loud and on camera, it's like, oh my dear Lord. Um, another guy, uh, you probably may not have heard of him, but I'm sure you've heard of his namesake, John Harvey Kellogg of Kellogg Serial Family, yeah, another eugenist. eugenist, I mean. He uh, founded uh, what's called the Race Betterment Foundation in 1911, and he held national conferences on eugenics in, like, 1914, 1915, all the way to 1928. And as eugenics, the, the idea of eugenics gained popularity, um, in, in America, I mean, celebrities, scientists, prominent citizens, socialists, because there was a socialist movement too at that time, um, kind of combined to establish what was called the Eugenics Records Office, or the ERO, and that will come into play later on. Um, so the ERO, it, it tracked families um, and their genetic traits, and the office kind of claimed that most people considered quote-unquote unfit were either immigrants, minorities, and poor, and they kind of maintained that there was clear evidence that you know these supposed negative traits were caused by bad genes, not by racism or economics or the social views of the time, which, of course, we now know is bullshit, but that's what they believe at the time. Now... Um, another name I'm sure many will recognize. Um, if you don't, you you should know who this person is because uh, God by the name of Margaret Sanger. Um, she is in the early 20s. She founded. Well, she was a very uh, popular figure at the time. Very very into women's movement, feminism. Uh, but unfortunately, she was a hardcore eugenist, and she was the founder of what, uh, what would be titled the American Birth Control League in 1921, which would um, eventually, over the years, morph into what we know as Planned Parenthood. And like I said, eugenist, feminist, advocate for birth control, the the public PR about her because, you know, birth control clinics, uh, abortion is such a controversial issue, even today. 
the the positive PR that they push for this woman is incredible. They say that she she was not necessarily for abortion. She wanted more like birth control methods. And but she she did. She advocated for strengthening the purity of the race. I mean, she talked about reforming immigration laws, you know, one child uh families only of fit and acceptable specimens. That's a quote. Or uh laws might that might require, you know, permission from the government, you know, to reproduce. Right. Or to be denied if you were mentally unfit or poor or something like that. Um, she was actually prosecuted and jailed a few times because of her radical views of the time. I mean, you can you can kind of understand it. I mean, as, as controversial even uh, as abortion is um, today. I mean, we're talking about in the 20s. So you can imagine... She's on she's she's on her soapbox talking about this kind of stuff and people did not like it. So So yeah, in 1914 she was prosecuted for a book that she had written called Family Limitations under um back then what was known as the Comstock Act and under the provisions of the Comstock Act um it prohibited the, prohibited the dissemination of information on uh birth control contraception, you know, that type of thing. Well, she fled to Britain for a couple of years and returned to uh, New York City a couple of years later. And she ended up opening the first U.S. Uh, birth control clinic in New York City in 1916. 1916, yeah. Or she was arrested again. <laughs> And you know, but like I said, she the she believed that only affluent and and educated should bear children, while poor and even religious people should not. And what was that? Nineteen. I mean, this will. I mean, listen to some of the stuff she says. This will give you a really better insight into what her true motivation is for opening these clinics, right? Um, under she wrote a book called, I mean just the title alone. It was called uh, "The Wickedness of Creating Large Families." This is 1921. This is a quote from Chapter Five of that book, where she says, "The most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it." I mean, does that <laughs> does that sound like a birth control proponent to you? And and pick up on this one word it. <laughs> does to one of its infant members, right? Not fetuses, not embryos, infant, a live-born kid. She's advocating for murdering your own children. I mean, this is a horrible, horrible woman. And this is, like I said, who, who is the founder of uh, what, what we know as Planned Parenthood today, right? She had a speech called the, uh, In the Morality of Birth Control, 1921, where she divided society into three groups, in her opinion, um, which, again, I think gives clear insight into her true motivations. All right, first, the first group was um, what she referred to as the, quote, educated and informed class, which voluntarily regulated the size of their own families. The second group was called the intelligent and responsible class, which wanted to regulate family size but lacked the means or knowledge to do so. 
And finally, the uh, irresponsible and reckless people was class number three, whose religious beliefs prevented their exercising control over their own numbers. And she said that of, of the of the third group, she said, there is no doubt in the minds of all thinking people that the procreation of this group should be stopped. Now, again, Planned Parenthood, 1920s. Good gal. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of different things that happened back in this time period. And, and I said this is uh, the time period when uh, the American eugenics movement was in, was in full swing. It caught on. A lot of people were okay with it. I mean, there man, a lot of different laws came about um, in various states. If I can find some, I have notes. I swear. Wow, well, here we go. I mean, like. Let's see, from 1909 to 1979, about 20,000, oh, yeah, sterilizations took place in a uh, California state mental institution. Justification was that they were protecting society from the potential offspring of those with mental illness. This is how twisted this stuff was. I mean, between 19, 1909 and 1927... And 1927 is, is significant, and I'll get to that in just a second here. Um, about 6,000 people were forcibly sterilized. And the 13 years after 1927, it is a Supreme Court decision is what I'm talking about. Um, there was about 30,000 more, and the state of Virginia accounted for over 8,000 of them. All right, so, I mean, you, we have... These uh, sterilization laws that were eugenically based, and there's one in particular I'm going to talk about, and it's in relation to this uh, Supreme Court case. Um, the decision came out in uh, 1927, but um, the case is called Buck versus Bell, and it, and uh, it involved this 18 year old girl named Carrie Buck. Um, so in 1923, this is the story behind this Buck versus Bell case, and it's it's quite disturbing. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it has to do with uh, uh, sterilization laws, all right? And this happened to be from Virginia, out of the state of Virginia in uh, the early 20s. All right, so Carrie Buck, who was an 18-year-old who was labeled, you know, quote-unquote, an imbecile, um, as was her mother, Emma, um, and who was also labeled uh, immoral and promiscuous. So Carrie was sent to live with an adoptive family. And in 1923, it was discovered that she was pregnant. And so the adopted mother sent Carrie to Virginia to the state colony. Um, that's what it was called, the Virginia State Colony for Epileptics and Feeble-Minded. Now, a eugenics-driven forced sterilization law had failed previously in uh, 1907 in Illinois or Indiana. I can't remember. I didn't write it down. Um... So that law was stricken down. So the superintendent of the state colony, a guy by the name of Albert Pretty, um, helped to craft and lobby for what would become 1924's, <laughs> this is actually what it was called, Eugenical Sterilization Act <laughs> out of Virginia, which was based closely on um, this model law um, designed by a guy named uh, Harry Laughlin. It was designed to uh, specifically withstand constitutional uh, challenges. 
Uh, but this guy, Harry Laughlin, he worked at the, the ERO, which I mentioned earlier, the Eugenics Records Office at Cold Springs Harbor Laboratory. And uh, the Virginia legislature passed the statute, but they needed to find out if this, this new law was going to pass a legal challenge, a constitutional challenge. So Carrie Buck was the test subject. Um, Albert Pretty, the director of this uh, this this uh, colony, where uh, Carrie Buck was was uh, being held, um, he filed a petition to the board of directors to sterilize eighteen year old Carrie, and he claimed that she quote represented a genetic threat to society. <laughs> it's like, dang man, um, her mother. This is what he said in his petition. Her mother had the mental capacity of an eight year old, was promiscuous, immoral. Um, didn't know who Carrie's father was, and Carrie's pregnancy was proof of her own immorality, giving birth to an illegitimate child, you know, on and on. This petition was just, I mean, just ripped on her really badly. So the board granted the petition to sterilize her, right? So the challenge is on. And <clears throat> um, Albert Pretty, he ended up passing away during the, you know, the legal challenges up the court system, and his successor, John Bell, um, took up the case. That's why the case is called Buck versus Bell. Um, so it, it it ends up going all the way to the Supreme Court, where um, Carrie um, was arguing due process and equal protection violations. The court, um, unfortunately, in an eight to one decision, upheld the sterilization law and accepted the fact that um, both Carrie and her mother were feeble minded and promiscuous and I have where is it oh no aha so um, Oliver Wendell Holmes is one of the uh, Supreme Court justices on the bench on this case and he's one of the, the most celebrated justices we've ever had um, in this country but he uh he was on the there there's only one judge who went against it, it was an eight to one decision, but of course he was on the eight side and he ended up writing the opinion. And it said uh Oliver Wendell Holmes said in this opinion, this is a quote from the case. It says if public welfare may demand that the lives of its best citizens then surely the lowest members of society should be prevented from propagating their kind at the expense of everyone else. So instead of waiting to execute degenerate offspring for crime or to let them starve for their own imbecility, society can prevent those who are manifestly unfit from continuing their kind. Three generations of imbeciles are enough. That's a Supreme Court justice saying that shit. So they upheld the, the sterilization law saying it was uh, perfectly fine. To sterilize people against their will. And that law stood until 1974. So they sterilized a lot of people under that law. And the, the, the interesting and sad twist of this case, and this, boy, it tells you, it, it'll tell you how much corruption and, and stuff there is in our system. But, um, you know, it was reported that Carrie. Carrie Buck received extremely subpar um, attorney representation, attorney performance. Her, her lawyer, his name was Irving Whitehead, 
uh, didn't present evidence, didn't call witnesses. And there were court reporters, you know, for the newspaper at the time that were actually questioning whether or not this guy Whitehead, you know, does he even know what side he's on? And turns out that Carrie was not promiscuous at all. Right while living with her adopted parents, uh, while the adopted mother was away, her nephew raped Carrie, resulting in her pregnancy. And upon finding this out, apparently the mother sent Carrie to that state colony to cover up the incident um, involving her nephew, claiming that you know Carrie was immoral and promiscuous because they apparently was a prominent family. They didn't want that kind of embarrassment, so they covered up by sending Carrie away. So the, like I said, the superintendent petitioned the board of directors to have her sterilized because of all this. And the, the board of directors member who signed the petition um, to sterilize Carrie is a man who was a very, very strong supporter of eugenics and sterilization. His name? Irving Whitehead. That's right. Carrie's lawyer is the one who signed the petition to authorize her sterilization. Why that did not come out and there was a conflict of interest, clearly. I do not know. Certainly should have. But, again, corruption knows no bounds. So, a lot of people are kind of wondering if something like that is going on in America right now. Like, like, uh, is there is there this 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 push to to implement this agenda? This this depopulation, this eugenics, you know, this type of thing. Um, a lot of people ask the question of uh, the COVID thing going on right now with the vaccines and all this stuff. And uh, you know, I it's hard to say, I guess, one way or the other. You know, Bill Gates is a name that keeps on getting thrown around because um, he's he's been in the vaccine business for a while. And you kind of have to ask yourself why that would be. Um, but I'll get into that because, like I said, uh, Bill Gates, his name is going to come up uh, <laughs> a few times. Uh, but one name that's going to come up, actually Bill Gates. Why there's so many tie-ins with this guy, with the idea of eugenics and population control. I'll, I'll just, okay, I'll start out with Bill Gates here. Uh, plus, for example, his dad, Bill Gates Sr., he was on the board of Planned Parenthood. He ran it for a while, right? And he is an active member of what's known as the Fabian Society, which is a hardcore eugenics society. Uh, his mother um, served as um, national chair in the executive committee of United Way, where a guy named John Oppel. Uh, he was a CEO of IBM at the time. Um, she's actually one that talked the IBM people into uh, signing, uh, signing onto a contract with Microsoft. You know, her son's fledgling company at the time is nineteen seventy five or so. So I mean, there's some, you know, nepotism, cronyism, you know, what what you want to call it. Uh, interesting little connection with IBM, though. IBM, uh, Thomas Watson Jr., who, who headed the company before John Oppel, um, actually built and sold Adolf Hitler's Nazi regime. 
with a bunch of equipment and, and machines and computers and things. Yeah, so it's all kind of going around full circle here, you know, with the whole idea of depopulation and this and that. Um, Bill Gates has two major issues that he likes to say he's pursuing through his foundation and also partnering with um, the Rockefeller Foundation and many of them. Um, Rockefeller Foundation, they're known eugenists as well. Uh, but his two his two main uh, concerns or issues are the the health of people and the climate, both issues which he believes directly tied to global population levels. And in fact, in two thousand ten, he did a um, TED talk where he he actually <laughs> spoke of needing to reduce the global population by at least uh, ten to fifteen percent. So a lot of people say, well, no, no, that was that that was taken out of context. Da, da, da. So Bill Gates, like I guess, and he's been a major player with the, the vaccines for a number of years now. And, uh, and certainly with the uh, coronavirus stuff. Um, another name has become kind of popular in, in the last couple of years where people may not have heard his name before, but um, a guy named uh, Dr. Tony Fauci. And boy, the more you uh the more you learn about this guy, the more evil he, he is. Now, for those who don't know, um HIV AIDS was a virus that was actually patented in April of nineteen eighty four by a guy named Dr. Robert Gallo, who worked under Fauci, who was the head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. NIAID. So Gallo made millions off his patent and uh, a resulting blood test for HIV, <clears throat> pardon me, which uh, which only tested for active antibodies, not the actual virus itself. But um, this suggests that past infection response, not necessarily the presence of the HIV AIDS virus. And it's not surprisingly that led to many false positives, right? So this is a testing method, which contemporary immunology practices, it's not a valid method, right? So over the years, uh, Dr. Fauci has taken millions and millions uh, from places like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Clinton Foundation, as well as, I mean, just billions upon billions of dollars just from um, taxpayer funding of the, you know, the health organizations. So when it became um, clear that Gallo's blood test was faulty, uh, Fauci made the decision to switch the HIV narrative from, you know, quote-unquote early detection to prevention by disregarding the, the scientific testing method completely and, and recommending what you probably heard of a drug called AZT for AIDS treatment. And AZT was a failed leukemia, leukemia chemotherapy drug. It's very toxic. And he even recommended AZT for pregnant women, <laughs> despite the obvious risk to the fetus, right? So AZT was fast-tracked and approved by Fauci and the U.S. government in 1987 in five days. Wow. I mean, does that not sound familiar? You know, again, the same thing has happened. H1N1 swine flu virus actually has a patent, Again, like the HIV-AIDS virus, 
patent. And actually, if you want to know a lot, look it up. It's that's a US 8124101B2 is the patent number for the swine flu. Filed in 2005, approved in 2009. Not a coincidence that the first case of H1N1 detected in the United States was April 2009. So by June 2009, WHO, well, we know about that organization now, don't we? Declared a pandemic. So in one year, from April 2009 to April 2010, the CDC estimated that right close to 61 million Americans were infected. Um, 12,469 deaths were reported from the swine flu. And globally, about 500,000 dead. And again, the vaccine was fast-tracked in four months. WHO, Declaration of a Pandemic, a vaccine for swine flu was available. So Fauci was interviewed by the Journal of American Medical Association and about the swine flu, he said, and this is a quote, well, that spread very, very well. Uh-huh. Very odd statement. So now we're dealing with, uh, you know, coronavirus, and people have a lot of questions, a lot of... Um, Concerns as to whether or not this this the coronavirus and the vaccine rollouts are, are uh, like some sort of dastardly way to, to to literally kill people and and decrease the population and you know is it I don't know I mean some of the stuff that I'm uncovering is uh, I mean pretty disturbing it really is I mean I looked up some some stuff going on right now like the. Uh, uh, maybe you've heard of, oh, what is his name? I forgot to write it down. The guy who invented the technology for mRNA vaccines, which the, the COVID vaccines are. I don't remember his name now. But recently, he started speaking out against them because they haven't gone through long-term testing. He, he wouldn't advise giving them to your children. And he said people are going to start having some really bad effects from these from these vaccines if you start taking them. Well, now he's been canceled. He's been shut down on social media. He's, you know, all these different things um, for speaking out against <laughs> basically his own invention. And I guess he, uh, he, as soon as he was canceled on Twitter or something like that, um, Joe Rogan invited him onto his podcast, which I have not seen yet. And I hope to get to see it uh, here pretty soon because I'd be very interested to hear what he has to say. <clears throat> I came across another um, piece of information, an article I read, and it was written in uh, August, this past August, by a guy named Stephen Fishman. And I actually found it on a, a, a blog site called jamesfetzer.org. That's F-E-T-Z-E-R, fetzer.org. And the title of this article is, How Long Do the Vaccinated Have to Live? And the guy that was interviewed was a guy named Dr. Milo Kandarian. He's a PhD who... Um, developed uh, the patent for uh, something called graphene oxide. And it was for use as a hematological bioweapon back in 2015. And hematological, bio, that, in, that means in the blood, you know, bioweapon in the blood. So he, uh, well, Dr. Kendarian, he he's a radical eugenist, admittedly so. I mean, he, he'll, he'll admit that. 
He believes that 95% of the world's population are, this is what he calls them, useless eaters, who, quote, need to be euthanized as quickly as possible. Now, for those who don't know, um, I didn't know this, but um, his his patent of, of graphene oxide um, ties right in with uh, the other doctor's invention of the mRNA vaccines. And so graphene oxide is used as the spike protein in, in mRNA vaccines. So it's, it's, it's an oxygen sponge, graphene oxide is. And it battles your, your bone body battles it for, from the inside um, for oxygen absorption. So after the introduction of graphene oxide uh, through these vaccines, the, the heart, um, the lungs, the cells can't function properly due to um, the decreased oxygen intake. And so <clears throat> the interview asked this Dr. Kandari, he said, he said, well, how can the vaccinated know with certainty how long they have to live? And Dr. Kandarian responded something called the uh, the end of cycle formula, which I'd never heard of before. But he said that there is a maximum 10-year cycle from injection to end of cycle or death. And he said, and any hematologist um, can easily see it within seconds under a microscope. The, um, the percentage of blood... This is a quote. He said, the percentage of blood affected by or contaminated with graphene oxide is the reciprocity of this end of cycle calculation. End quote. So someone, let's say, has 20% graphene oxide deterioration of the blood. Um, he, according to Dr. Kandarian, this, he'll, they'll die in about eight years which is the 10-year cycle from injection minus the 20% graphene oxide, oxide saturation. Or if you have 70% deterioration, you'll have a lifespan of three years. Right? So the 10-year cycle minus 70% leaves you with three years to live. <clears throat> so when asked about um, the effects of like second or third shots or boosters and all that, um, this is what he had to say. This guy is a piece of shit. <laughs> this is what he said. He said, quote, it's all measurable through hematological testing. The more shots and boosters the imbeciles get, the worse their blood will look under a microscope, and the quicker they will turn to fertilizer. Holy crap. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's unbelievable that people just come out and say that shit. I just, that's amazing. I mean, regardless of if you believe it or not. But on the as a follow up to what I just what I just went over, um, I you know continued continued researching and just I came across another kind of horrifying piece of information. Now there's a um, a website called Deagle.com, and they're tied in pretty closely with. Uh, Government agencies, um, you know, like the FBI, CIA, World Health Organization, World Bank, so big players. So not, not a whole lot of people see Deagle's website. And what they do is they compile statistics, um, you know, the GDP, military spending, uh, just all these different metrics. And what they do is they, they give, you know, the current numbers and they, and they, they project what they think. Uh, based on the information they're provided, 
they project what the, they think the numbers will be in the next few years. So one of the metrics is population. And this has since been taken down because they got exposed for this, apparently. Uh, they, uh, like 2017, I believe it was. And this is an article that I read from uh, December 28th. So like just a few days ago. So from De De excuse me from 2017 they 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 had the uh the population of the United States at 327 million but they had a projection to 2025 so 3 years from now that the American population was 100 million and and people are like what the hell why why would they make such a projection and then, of course, everything else corresponded. GDP was also down. Military spending was down. You know, I saw the, I saw the chart. And so a lot of people saw that and they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. The, the U.S. population is going to decrease by 70% in the next few years. And that, that equates to about 227 million person die-off in a few years. Well, imagine the oh shit moment. When somebody looked at the uh, the current estimates on how many people are either fully or partially vaccinated, that number is about 240 million. Was that a coincidence that those two numbers seem to match up pretty well? And like I said, the, the Deagle's uh, projection for 2025 has since been pulled after being exposed. But I mean, man, why would they project such a decrease? What is going on? You know, and, and it's the same thing in, the, in Europe, um, Australia, you know, similar population percentage decreases. And it's just so bizarre. I mean, is that what really is going on with, you know, uh, uh, is, is there really an agenda to, to pull this off? Is that why they're pushing so hard for, for these corona vaccines? I mean, is there really some shit in those things? You know, like the graphene oxide that's going to slowly suffocate us from the inside out. You know, the more vaccines you, you take, the faster you're gone. I mean, I don't want to believe that stuff, but, you know, you got, like like I said, you got you got people like Bill Gates and the Rockefellers and, and people who are known eugenists that are pushing this. And one of their goals is to depopulate the planet. So, I mean, I mean, am I putting two and two together or am I, you know, am I putting, you know, six and 14 together? I don't know. These, this is just the stuff that I'm coming up with. And not just me. I mean, others have as well. But besides that, um, the vaccine angle anyway, I thought, well, you know, are there more ways that there that this agenda is is being implemented this depopulation agenda and so i thought of a bunch of different methods and lo and behold one of my ideas somebody else has thought of before i did and it's i came across this article and it's about mass incarceration as a method of depopulation now this article is about it's uh from social sciences um guy that works in the Department of Sociology at the University of Auckland. And he, uh, 
he was more focused on blacks and minorities um, and incarcerated at higher levels, um, but was kind of wondering if eugenics was, was the impetus for this. You know, there's millions of people incarcerated in the United States, millions more on, um, you know, community custody, parole, that kind of thing. And uh, Hitler's, Hitler's project, where he sterilized millions of people, it was called uh, the Liebensborn Project. And uh, there's a quote from this article that says, it says, when you, eugenics, well, where was it? Anyway, basically in the synopsis of this article, it says that, you know, like I was talking about in the early early uh, 20th century, so the early 1900s, the, the eugenics movement was, was roaring, very popular, and had a lot of um, influence over U.S. policy and, and their laws and things like that. And after the Nazi atrocities, it really put a damper on that. I think I mentioned that earlier, but... So the article here that I'm looking at, it says that even though it, it it basically went underground for a while, the idea of eugenics, it didn't completely disappear. And in fact, it, it's coming back and it and it was uh, the way they phrase it. It was merely repackaged. Um, and one of the things that they're talking about here is incarceration, mass incarceration as a way to keep the population level down, um, particularly for. Um, black males who, eugenically speaking, were, you know, kind of at or near the top of the uh, undesirable qualities, right? For Nazi Germany, they killed a lot of blacks. And then, you know, of course, here in America. But reading through this article, I mean, it's about a 20, yeah, about 20 page article. And they go through some, it's an, it's an eye-opening article. I mean... Boy, <laughs> it's a really good article. I wish I could just sit here and read it to you, but I can't. But there's some pretty disturbing things in here. Um, you know, they talk about the negative eugenics going on. And uh, this is, I guess, as it uh, uh, applies to criminals, uh, which, you know, of course, is another undesirable trait. And so one of the things in here says, on the other side of the coin, so-called negative eugenics um, sought to reduce the reproduction of quote-unquote unfit specimens such as the physically handicapped, the mentally ill, mentally handicapped, or those with antisocial tendencies. And many eugenicists called for the lifelong quarantine of such individuals, but others more radically identified the killing of it of these individuals as, quote, the surest, the simplest, the kindest, and most humane means of preventing reproduction. Man, that's how these people thought back then. And, and sadly, I, I think that they still do. And another thing that really, I mean, if you really put some thought into it, like I did, like this, this thought kind of made me go, wow. And it's the, uh, the, what is it? The Liebensborn Project from Hitler, his sterilization project. Well, it turns out that 
the Virginia sterilization law with the Carrie Buck um, situation I talked about earlier, that law was used as the model eugenic language that Hitler would later invoke to sterilize millions. Our law inspired Hitler to do what he did. And it's really, what a, what a bizarre thought to think that would Hitler have become what he became? <laughs> Had it not been for our beliefs? Or would, you know, history would have played out the same way? Anyway, I, we, we don't know. It was just a thought that I had. When his law was molded off of ours. It's just, wow. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, who's the real bad guy here? You know? Uh, but again, this is how, like, particularly the negative eugenicists, this is how they look at people. There's an Italian criminologist named Cesar Lombroso. And he called, he, he, he refers to something as a, um, a natural criminal, right? Which, of course, is on the, the negative characteristic side that they wish to eradicate. And he says that, um, <laughs> it's kind of funny because right, he says he it, this is a, I'm just going to read it. It's a quote. It says that uh, Cesar, Cesar Lombroso claimed that the natural criminal is an atavistic being, which is a product of reverse evolution. That's what atavistic means. Um, who can be identified by physical stigmata such as powerful jaws, had cheekbones, supple hair, handle shaped ears. I read that and I thought. That kind of describes Barack Obama, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, although um, a few criminals might commit, this is a continuing quote, although a few criminals might commit crime because of a bad environment, the natural criminal can neither be deterred nor rehabilitated. So Lombroso declared war against this alien species. And this is a quote from Lombroso himself. He says, born criminals programmed to do harm are atavistic reproductions of not only savage men, but also the most ferocious carnivores and rodents. This discovery should not make us more compassionate towards born criminals, as some claim, but rather should shield us from pity, for these beasts are members of not our species, but the species of bloodthirsty beasts. And I'm like, wow! Again, just to hear people come out and say that. I mean... Regardless of what their beliefs are, it's like, you know, you know, and, and again, it, 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 these, these beliefs, people get into power, laws get changed, you know, the sterilization laws that were around for a long, long time, a few states still have them. California was a real bad one for a while. They sterilized a lot of people, even going against their own rules to do so. But, uh, so this article that I'm reading, or I've read, um, the, <clears throat> the whole idea of putting so many minorities and black men in prison was, again, to, uh, you know, quell their population so they wouldn't reproduce. And, and, you know, so there's lots of stuff that I have thought about, you know, is the, is the incarceration thing, is that part of eugenics? Oh, well, I didn't know this. I'm only, I've got an hour. 
Okay, so I got to be quick then. Um, another thing that I thought might have been maybe in the works for a eugenics person is uh, if you've ever heard of La Palma. It's a, it's a Canary Island. It has a big volcano on it. And they're afraid that if it's that there's a big fissure in the side of it and it might slide off into the ocean and then create a huge tsunami that would go all the way across the ocean at the eastern seaboard of the Americas and decimate millions of people. So if I was a rich eugenist and I wanted to uh, decimate millions of people, <laughs> might be a way to make that happen. So... Maybe that's something to kind of watch the news for. Stay away from the East Coast. <laughs> I guess it's one of the things that the Simpsons predicted, so there's that as well. Um, well, I have I, I didn't know that I only had an hour on this, but I am running out of time. So I'm going to have to wrap this up real quick. And I had more stuff that I wanted to throw in here, but I'm not going to have time. So I apologize. And uh, hopefully I have given given you guys some stuff to think about. I don't know where you all stand on eugenics and that belief system. Um, whether you endorse eradicating people or just trying to save the planet. And, and if you endorse depopulation at all, I don't know. But like I said, this was just a bunch of stuff that I uncovered. And like I, I have more, I just don't have the time to put it in now. I've only got a couple minutes left. Um, but... Again, you know, I say this in my podcast quite a bit. Don't take my word for it. Look this stuff up for yourself. It's it's uh, it's out there for everybody to read. I mean, these are not my numbers. I don't make this stuff up. I just kind of present to you guys what I find. And so, like I said, look it up. It's some disturbing stuff. And uh, I hope some of it is not true. But um, that's where I'm going to have to leave it today because I am just about out of time on my on my counter here. And so I appreciate you guys watching or listening to Mind Chatter. And I apologize for not being on the air for so long. I'll try to not go so long next time. And so I hope everybody has a great beginning to their new year. And I'll, I'll be back on here pretty soon. So thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.